Welcome to the Sooners Extra Podcast, powered by the Oklahoma. And the Sooners Extra Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com. I'm your host, as always, Ryan Aber from the Oklahoma. Today we have a, a special guest, uh, ESPN slash ABC slash SEC Network analyst and former Alabama quarterback Greg McElroy. Our Joe Masato got to catch up with Greg McElroy and talk to him a little bit about Jalen Hurts, Oklahoma's offense, and the potential matchup between Oklahoma and Alabama down the line. Here's Joe and Greg. I, I wanted to ask you about Jalen Hurts, especially given your Alabama perspective on him and maybe getting to know him a little bit there. What he's doing this year, almost as many total touchdowns as incompletions, 10th in the nation in passing. Is he? Are you seeing things from him that you didn't even know he was capable of? Well, I've been really impressed with how he's grown mm-hmm. and just how much more confident he's playing. You know, I think if you actually look there in 2017, and I went back just so I had proper perspective, I went back and watched the Clemson game from the semifinals a couple of years ago and then watched the Georgia game in the national championship, watched that first half, and I see a completely different player. Uh, he was scared to cut it loose. He was inaccurate. His feet weren't underneath him. He was just really, really up and down in those games. And looking at him now... I mean, he's a completely different player in regards to the confidence that he has throwing the football. I mean, he's very accurate, even on the underneath, the intermediate, and the deep ball throws. He's throwing the ball with uh, a lot of anticipation. I've just been so impressed with his growth at the position and just how much more instinctively he's playing. Do you think that's more an improvement in his mechanics or the it's more of a comfort in the offense that he's in now. I think it has to do with a few different things. One, reps. Uh, when you think about the reps that he's getting with Lincoln Riley and that system, uh, when you look at all the Mike Leach disciples, they throw a billion balls a day. <laughs> I mean, just hundreds of throws every single day so that when you're there on game day, the, the throws feel relatively routine just because of the sheer repetitions that you get on Monday through Friday. So I think that's a huge aspect of it. And I think this offense really suits him. I mean, it suits most quarterbacks just because of how Lincoln calls it. But this offense really suits him and that he has plenty of time to throw the football. He doesn't have to leave the pocket. Uh, They're going to get him in a rhythm early in the game, so he's going to feel confident about the plan after the first drive in the first series of the game. Uh, they kind of work him into the game plan nicely with some easier completions, and then they allow him to start to take the top off the defense the longer the game goes. So uh, I just really liked how they've utilized him within this offense, but I think a big reason for his development are the reps he got last year as a backup quarterback. We can really hone his craft and kind of play fearless. When he went into games last year, the game was more often than not done. <laughs> so right. why not take a chance? You know, why not just throw the ball in tighter coverage than you usually would? Because what do you have to lose? You throw a pick, who cares? You're still up by four touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And I think that really helped him a lot uh, in knowing what he can get away with and knowing what type of throws he can execute and how consistently he can execute those, those throws. So 
think that's been a huge part of this development. And then it's obviously transferred over to uh, what they're doing there in, in Norman. And, and it's been really, really impressive to watch for the first few games of the year. You mentioned at Alabama at times that he looked afraid to cut it loose. Are there throws that you see him make at Oklahoma that you don't even think would have been asked at him at Alabama? Uh, probably. I mean, uh, I mean, you still make he can make all the throws, always could. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the emphasis at Oklahoma is more about being aggressive offensively, whereas the offense that he played in at Alabama at the time was more about making sure that you control the football, control the flow of the game, run the ball when necessary, but don't spoil it for the defense. It's just a different mentality, uh, and he's been empowered. I mean, this offense in Oklahoma is quarterback empowering, whereas the offense that he ran – a couple of years back at Alabama was more a quarterback needs to be a distributor, don't make mistakes. Mm-hmm. So it's just different. And Alabama has actually adjusted their philosophy to be a little more like Oklahoma with the type of offense that they're running now. But when he was there, the defense was so elite that you were essentially just asking him, hey, don't throw an interception, don't make a mistake, just the worst-case scenario, you punt, no worries. They still have to drive the length of the field against this defense. Not many teams are going to be able to do that. So it's adjusted, but I think, uh, you know, he has taken to that mindset and taken to that approach and, and really ran with it and uh, and is performing re- really well under the circumstances. Before you saw what what's happened so far this season, back when Jalen committed to Oklahoma in, in January, what were sort of your – just remind us of your initial reactions about that fit and Jalen's decision to come to OU. Well, I was – first of all, I've always said this. If you're a quarterback and you're transferring and looking for a new destination, uh, since Lincoln got there, why would you not go to Oklahoma? <laughs> mm-hmm. That should be the top of everyone's list if they find themselves in a transfer situation. So that was my initial reaction when I found out he was transferring is, well, his first choice better be Oklahoma, and if it's not, we need to talk to him. (laughs) That was the first thing. Um, The other thing would be I was a little worried about him. I think his growth as a passer last year, um, and it it was obvious he had grown, but I also don't think that he had the same skill set as Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray as a downfield passer. I just didn't, I didn't feel like he had that. Um, doesn't mean he wasn't capable. It just I didn't think he could do it as consistently as those two guys. They got drafted first overall for a reason. Uh, so it's not necessarily a slight on Jalen. It was more about how much I respected and appreciated how the two previous guys did it. Uh, so I wondered just how the offense would adjust and adapt. Um, that was probably what I was most interested in, was not whether Jalen could do the things that those guys did, but more how Lincoln would allow Jalen's skill set to kind of determine what the offense was going to eventually look like. You know what I mean? That was what right. that was what I was most interested in. Did they go with a little bit more quarterback run? Did they do a little bit more quarterback design run between the tackles? Because Jalen's a real powerful guy, a real thick guy, and strong through his lower half. That was what I was most interested in, not so much about how he would fit, 
but more about how Lincoln would adapt the offense to fit him. And I think Lincoln's done a great job of that. When you're, you know, preparing to call an Oklahoma game, you know, Lincoln's got, I mean, even before this year, obviously he got a lot of credit for people calling him the best offensive play caller in, in, in the country. But it seems like every every week after a game, there, there's guys breaking down clips and saying, you know, did you did you see this play that Lincoln called? I mean, just as a former quarterback, what do you make of the system that, that Lincoln has adopted here and the way he's able to call and um, manage an offense? Well, the biggest thing is he has good players. So mm-hmm. we can we can credit we can credit Lincoln all day long, but he has a really nice arsenal of weapons that he can he can lean on. So it'd be one thing if they only had one good receiver, then right. you could probably figure out a way defensively to scheme up that receiver. But they don't. <laughs> they mm-hmm. have they have several good receivers and a good tight end and and have versatile weapons that can create some mismatch opportunities for you. On the perimeter, couple that with really good run game and an elite offensive line, and you're in business. So I think the first, you know, the first part of credit goes towards Lincoln as a talent about uh, as a talent evaluator and as a guy that has gone out and done a great job on the recruiting trail. So that's first and foremost because he can call the greatest plays in the world. If they can't execute them, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that's the biggest thing that I think is a little lost. Lincoln, however, does a really good job of putting the defense in conflict and forcing you to cover every square inch of the field. Uh, He spreads you vertically. He spreads you horizontally. And very few defenses can cover that much space. He just forces you to account for space that most teams can't take advantage of. And that makes it really, really hard. And... I think, too, Lincoln, he thinks about it from a quarterback's perspective. He thinks, okay, how can I make sure that this guy's comfortable? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. And if you look at Kyler and Baker and Jalen, all have an insane amount of confidence. Uh, right. Not arrogance, just confidence, you know? And some people, can, some people can translate to arrogance. If you're a quarterback and you're not a little arrogant, you're probably not going to be very successful. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you kind of have to have that fine line, that fine balance of arrogance and confidence. And I think what Lincoln does a great job of is taking advantage of that confidence and making sure that those guys are never put in a position in which they're uncomfortable. He, he gives them answers. And if they do this look, you have this answer. If they bring this pressure, you can get it out to this outlet. They do good things, a great job of building things into the plan so that the quarterback never gets flustered and never gets spooked and never sees something that they don't anticipate. So uh, I've really, really – I've known Lincoln – for almost 15 years now, and and have followed him at every step, whether he was at Texas Tech or at East Carolina, and then now most recently at Oklahoma. I, I love Lincoln. Uh, I would consider him a, a friend, you know, mm-hmm. just having the fact that he picked me up at the airport on my recruiting visit, and I've just known him for a long time. Wow. And uh, I just couldn't be happier and, and, and more I couldn't be a, just I just couldn't be happier about the way his career's gone. He deserves it. I mean, he's an incredible worker and, and a guy that was kind of cast aside as a player, but now has become so thoughtful about how he devises a game plan and allowing his players to best showcase what they do best. And I think so many coaches say, "Hey, I run my system, and you better adjust to my system, or else you're out of luck." 
he, he really does a good job of making sure that he adapts the system to his personnel. And, you know, I mean, the, the rewards have obviously been reaped over the last couple of years. So, so was that, would, would that have been your recruiting visit to Texas Tech? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So he was so low on the totem pole and I wasn't, you know, a Ballyhooed five-star recruit by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm sure if I was, Mike Leach would have picked me up personally. <laughs> uh, instead, they send like the lowest guy on the totem pole at that point uh, to pick me up. But we were close in age. He was 19, I was 17, or, or he was 20, and I was 17. We were close in age. So we had a common understanding. We both had an appreciation for offense, and, and we developed a bit of a friendship uh, you know, in the time that that I was getting recruited and going to their camps. And he was a guy I really looked up to and appreciated and, and uh, thought a whole lot about. Now I never would have anticipated that he would become one of the best coaches in America within, within a 12 year period. Um, mm-hmm. But you always knew he was going to be successful. I mean, whatever it was that he was going to do, I just, you just had a feeling about him. He had a certain, he had a charisma about him. He just knew something good was going to happen for him. Uh, and he got his opportunity and what was a really difficult circumstance in the Alamo Bowl is the play caller with Ruffin. He obviously parlayed that into uh, a nice few years at ECU where they had some excellent offensive uh, efficiency as well and and now has been able to translate it as a coordinator to now a head coach and, and the transition's been seamless. We're going to take a little bit of a break there on the Sooners Extra podcast. We want to make sure that you go and bookmark RedRiverRivalryRadio.com for Oklahoma Texas Week as we launch a 24-hour, seven-day-long pop-up radio station celebrating this historic rivalry. We look forward as we go live on October 5th uh, in preparation for the October 12th showdown. I'm Ryan Aber, and this is the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast, brought to you by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com. Let's get back to Joe Masato and his interview with uh, ESPN, uh, ABC, and uh, SEC Network analyst Greg McElroy. Greg will be calling Saturday's game in Lawrence between Oklahoma and Kansas at 11 a.m. on ABC. Uh, I've got sort of an off-the-wall question about Lincoln before I turn it back to Jalen real quick, but um, I wanted to do, I I talked to um, one of his best friends growing up and, you know, his high school coach, and they swear he's got a a photographic memory that he can, you know, remember every play that he's ever called in, in any situation. But I've also talked to some other offensive coordinators and play callers who can almost do a similar thing. Um, I'm not. I, I don't know if you can answer it or not, but is that a common thing that you've seen where it's like, you know, Lincoln, you can ask him, you know, the 2015 TCU game, third and eight, this hash, and he knows what he called. Like, do you think that's common or something uh, unique that he has the ability to do? I think that's pretty common. Okay. Um, I'd love to tell you it's super unique. No, I, I, I was just honestly curious. I think some guys are the type that like, oh, I don't even remember the play I called five minutes ago. But <laughs> some guys are, some guys it just sticks with you. And I think mm-hmm. it's, I mean, I could tell you plays that happened, I mean, in high school, 
<laughs> right. So, so I don't think that's all that uncommon um, because you always want to have your antenna up, and if that opportunity presents itself to call the same play, you have to be able to do that quickly right. uh, and be able to draw from that experience. So I think the best coordinators and, and best players do have – uh, a recollection similar to that. I don't know if I go as far as to call it a photographic memory, mm-hmm. but you remember the plays that kill you, and you remember the plays that that were home runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might not remember, you know, the four yard gain on second and six against Oklahoma State in you know 2009. You know, but he's going to remember the play that they hit that went out the gate because they got that look. And if I get that look again, I'm getting to that play. Right. So I do think that there are there is a certain uh, ability to recollect, and it can certainly benefit you. Obviously, yeah, that's that's interesting. A um, couple more on, on um, Jalen that I just wanted to ask. You know, you talked about the the confidence bordering on arrogance that, that quarterbacks have to have. We definitely saw that from Baker. Saw that from Kyler more toward the end of the season. Haven't really seen it from Jalen yet. I mean, he's just so hard um, to read. He, he, he barely shares anything, and he's just so one of the most serious guys I've ever covered. Did you get to know him, you know, personally at all, j- just from your Alabama connections? And, and is this sort of the personality that he's always had? Yeah, I mean, I, I've gotten to know him pretty well, and I'll tell you who he's like. He's like Nick Saban. Yeah. I mean, he really is. Like, I, I think that's part of the reason why Nick Saban loved him as much as he did is because he just, he's intense. And that's just kind of, that's just the type of personality he has. And one thing I'll say about Jalen, uh, he's pretty mentally tough, man. Like, he can make a mistake and he'll bounce back better and faster than anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's something to be said for that. Uh, a lot of guys, if they make a mistake, they'll kind of go in a hole and, and just be unresponsive. Uh, but he bounces back as if nothing ever happened. And, and there's something to be said for that, uh, which is why I found it pretty fascinating that he didn't lose so much confidence in himself over the course of the 2017 season, which culminated in him getting sat down in the national championship. Um, but, I mean, he is. I mean, he's a guy that is very, very focused. Um, very mentally tough, very physically tough, uh, and a guy that people gravitate towards because whatever the situation may be, he's going to be the same guy. Mm-hmm. If you just look at his face, it's the same all the time. Uh, barely even cracks a smile. So personality-wise, and I've had coaches on the staff tell me that he's just like Nick Saban, and uh, I think that that's really bode well for him over the course of his career, and now obviously it's it's working really well for him at Oklahoma. You know, I, I know it's hard to project out, but every week it seems like the, the possibility is becoming greater that, you know, OU and Alabama could match up in a college football playoff matchup. Or if if not that, Jalen and Tua are, are almost certainly going to be in New York at the end of the season. What, just what do you make early impressions of that storyline and how crazy things would be in, in Tuscaloosa to have Jalen and to uh, sort of battling it out. You know, I think it's a little, I mean, I think it's a little bit 
created by the media. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, how great, you know, how, how right. the, the guy that beat him, it's like a, it's like a movie, right? Right. So I think I, it's a I, little I over. Question, so I'll take responsibility for that one. But I, you know, I think I'm a, I'm in the media too. I mean, I'd mm-hmm. fall back into that. I'd love to see the matchup. Of course, who wouldn't? Um, it, it'd be, it'd be a storybook opportunity for, for Jalen to, to do something. I mean, it, after being benched in favor of, one guy and being able to get revenge and all this stuff. I mean, yeah, it would, it would be amazing. Um, but I bet if you ask to and, and you ask Jalen, both are rooting for each other. I would assume maybe, <laughs> I don't know. They might tell you that they might tell you that they are, but deep down, maybe not, uh, kind of beside the point, not really all that, all that important. But mm-hmm. what I think is, uh, is it's just interesting to see, there, like you can have success and you can do everything you want to do. And a lot of it has to do with timing. You know, I mean, I bet if Jalen were at Alabama and Tua were at Oklahoma, I bet you things would look pretty similar. You know, I mean, I yeah. really, especially with how Alabama's adapted offensively. Uh, it's just about timing and where you're at and how, how it works and how the stars align and how comfortable you are and how confident you are and all these other things and, and special things can happen. So, uh, it'd be neat to see, but they wouldn't treat it any differently than they did last year playing against Oklahoma. And I know Oklahoma wouldn't treat it any differently than, than last year when they played against Alabama. Uh, it would be a storyline for us to follow, but for the players within the locker room, I'm not sure anyone would really care or think about it. It would just exclusively worry about what it's going to take to win that game and, and not so much on the uh, on the external aspects of the storylines that have been created. I, I guess this is more of like a fan and perception question, but you know, the Oklahoma's outlook on the SEC hasn't always been friendly. The SEC's outlook on Oklahoma hasn't always been friendly. Do you think Jalen's changed that a a little bit? I mean, just like um, you you know, just like a guy like Paul Feinbaum, who has such a you know, impactful voice in the southeast part of the United States and still you know, sort of rooting for for Jalen, as he said. I mean, do do you think that's sort of more common than you would have thought? Uh, I think right now, yeah, everyone's rooting for everyone. Yeah. But when when push comes to shove, if there's an Oklahoma versus SEC matchup, you know, that's when the lines will be drawn, I guess. You know, right. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, for one, as a former player, want to have want to see players have success, always. Mm-hmm. I just, regardless of who they play for, I just, I don't ever want to see a guy play poorly. If everyone could go out every week and play well, it'd be the greatest thing ever. Because I yeah. hate talking negatively about things. Like, of <laughs> course, as a player, you're also looking for the constructive criticism. You're looking for areas within your own game. Okay, I can improve in this regard. Okay, I didn't do this as well last week. I'd like to get better here. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I, if it was all sunshine and rainbows, it'd be the greatest thing ever. Right. <laughs> really what I would love it. Um, so, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't speak to how relationships have changed and how the perception has changed. I think the Big 12's perception as a whole, not just exclusive to Oklahoma, I think people have a lot more respect for the Big 12 today than they had for them just a couple years ago. I think the league is deeper. Uh, The league is more capable of of beating top 10 teams and winning national championships. I think that team two years ago for Oklahoma, if they beat Georgia – I think they win the national championship mm-hmm. because coming back from the deficit that Alabama came back from against Georgia was a little bit 
more manageable than coming back from what could have been a huge deficit against Oklahoma. So, I mean, it just, I think the perception of the league has really been improved, uh, partially because of how good Oklahoma's become, but also because Texas appears to be a resurgent program with how they've played. They played against LSU. They gave LSU all they wanted and some. Uh, even team like Kansas State gone to Mississippi State, beat Mississippi State in Starkville. I mean, that's a, that's a huge feather in the – and I don't think anyone's trying to sit here and say that Mississippi State is an elite program by any stretch of the imagination. But still, I mean, that's, that helps with the perception of the league. So I think because Oklahoma has been one of – or in, and really the Big 12 has been one of those trendsetters, uh, everyone's kind of doing the Big 12 was doing for the last decade on offense. Mm-hmm. Everyone has kind of started to implement that philosophy a little bit, saying, hey, we got to score points. That's what's really – matters in college football today. So uh, I wouldn't say it's SEC versus Oklahoma or anything like that. I just think the perception of the Big 12, and I'm not sure it ever really changed for Oklahoma. I think they are always held in really high regard. But uh, I think the perception of the Big 12 has improved drastically to where most people would say, at worst, at worst, it's the third best league in college football, top right. to bottom, at worst. And you can make a very clear case that they're two, and you can even make a case that they're one, just given the depth and quality that's being played at so many of their schools. You have Ohio State, Alabama, and Auburn. These are your rankings uh, just based on performance through the first month. Um, they're all 1A, 1B, 1C. O- Oklahoma sitting at number four. What 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 keeps them out of that uh, top, top tier at this point? And, you know, is it is it still continued defensive improvement, or, or what do you sort of want to see from them? It's not really their fault. They just haven't had a chance to showcase it against anybody yet. Right. Like with all due respect, with all due respect to UCLA, uh, I think UCLA's got a lot of issues. With all due respect to Texas Tech, their first year of a new head coach playing against the backup quarterback. Yeah, the numbers on the outskirt look pretty good. I mean, defensively, Oklahoma that was as good of a defensive performance as I can recall. I mean, holding you know Jet Duffy to 120 yards throwing the football is. That's an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, I mean, really, Oklahoma just hasn't had that chance yet. I, I think I think Bama, you could look at Bama. and I, We know Auburn and, and Ohio State have played against good competition. Mm-hmm. Like, Ohio, I still think Nebraska's pretty good. I think Cincinnati, by the time it's all said and done, is going to be a team that people are going to really appreciate. That's a team that's pretty solid. And they made mincemeat of both those teams. So I would have Ohio State at one. Uh, I think Alabama, I know that South Carolina has not come out of the gates as strongly as most would like, and I thought their performance defensively against Ole Miss was troublesome. Uh, but I think those are still, still two pretty decent wins. By the time we fast forward to season's end, those teams, I think, both have a chance to get to a bowl game. Uh, Oklahoma, yeah, I think Texas Tech has a chance to get to a bowl game, but their other three opponents, probably not. And the fact that Texas Tech was against the backup quarterback, uh, I didn't put a ton of stock into that one. So I think everything that we're going to learn about Oklahoma lies in front of them. Games against Texas, obviously. Uh, game at Baylor, who I think Baylor's really good. Bedlam, which would be a heck of a matchup there at the end of the regular season. So it's not Oklahoma's fault. It's just strictly about the fact that the teams they played were really up to stuff. Right. Last one, um, you know, you're calling the game this weekend. It's a game where Oklahoma's another uh, heavy favorite. Is there anything that they can show against Kansas that, that you know, anything you see on film that they need to work on that you're looking for out of Oklahoma against a team like Kansas? Uh, 
I, I think this is obviously a tough game to get a gauge on. I mean, yeah. what I'd like to see uh, when I watch Kansas and, and prepare for Kansas this week, I'd like to see their defensive effort and performance resemble that of TCU's. TCU was completely locked down across the board. And we know that TCU defensively in the last decade, they've been one of the few teams in the Big 12 that every year, some years better than others, but every year they've been pretty solid on defense. And I think if Oklahoma's defensive intensity can match that of TCU's this week, uh, and if you look at the score last week, yeah, they scored 14 points, but both of which were in garbage time and both of which were with very little time remaining. So, I'd like to see Oklahoma's defense just completely locked down. I don't care about their offense. <laughs> I know right. that side of the ball is going to be fine. I know they're going to get their points. I know they're going to get their opportunities on that side of the ball. I'm not the least bit concerned on that side of the football, and they should put up ample points and yards and production and all that stuff. That's great. But I want to see their defense uh, just continue to play at a high level. I thought they did a great job last week. Uh, I just want to see that continue as they kind of continue that momentum into the Texas game next week, which – I think it's a matchup between the two best teams in the Big 12. Gotcha. Well, great stuff, Greg. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to do this with us today. Yeah, man, you got it. Absolutely. All right, we're going to take a break there on the Sooners Extra podcast. Please don't forget to shoot us a review at the Apple Store or in the Google Podcasts app. We really appreciate it. And thanks for tuning in each week. This is the Sooners Extra podcast presented by Zaxby's. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast, brought to you by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com. Joe, a uh, really interesting conversation there with, with Greg McElroy. I thought he had uh, uh, some insightful things to say about Jalen Hurts and the Sooners offense. Yeah, I thought so too. It was It's just interesting when you've, you know, get somebody who's now an analyst but still has that Alabama perspective and knows Jalen Hurts personally and can talk about him. I thought it was funny how he said what we had kind of guessed, that like he is exactly Nick Saban. He, he is <laughs> Nick Saban, basically. And, and he was Nick Saban before he arrived in Tuscaloosa. Yeah. Jalen Hurts was Nick Saban before Jalen Hurts yes. arrived in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, exactly. And, the, and then the other thing, um, really the whole interview felt, you know, nothing – Maybe maybe it was the questions, but, I, I mean, uh, Greg McElroy was basically putting on a heck of an advertisement, I thought, for OU football and just what Lincoln Riley can do, said that this is a place where quarterbacks are empowered. And I thought that was the most interesting thing is that he said, you know, Jalen Hurts, the, the Alabama offense is different now because they have Tua, but Jalen Hurts was more of a, a field general. They didn't want him to turn the ball over. He was scared to make certain throws. And now he just sees a guy who's not afraid to let it loose. And you wonder what Jalen Hurts would have been at Alabama had he uh, played in what they're doing now. Yeah. Um, Which I, McElroy I said they adopted basically <laughs> from Oklahoma. Right. Uh, so it, it's fascinating to see Jalen Hurts sort of get pushed out because Alabama wanted to go that way. And then Jalen Hurts comes here and it's been wildly successful. Yeah. So, um, you know, there an, another interesting part, and I have fun dealing in hypotheticals and and I asked him about you know what what do you think the storylines would be uh I mean we know the main storyline but when, <laughs> if Alabama and Oklahoma played each other and I thought it was interesting he said that if Jalen was at Alabama 
And if Tua was at Oklahoma, he doesn't think it'd be that different. That's how, <laughs> and, and that's a testament to Jalen Hurts' improvement, I think. Yeah, it absolutely is. We'll see. Now the competition gets yeah, stepped up uh, right. here in a couple weeks when uh, Oklahoma faces Texas down in the Cotton Bowl. Well, we have to but talk about it point. while it's still a possibility, <laughs> though, you know, before yeah. someone goes uh, and loses. Uh, although I, I still think it's going to be a possibility yeah. for a long, long time. But uh, it, it's starting to feel more maybe a, like, a realistic possibility than before the season. Although yeah. even then it was something that very well could have happened. Yeah, but I mean it – the odds of them playing together goes up by the week, and the odds of Tua and Jalen being in New York at this end of the season are pretty, uh, pretty high right now. Which will be a circus if that happens. Oh my god! Uh, either one of those things happens. Certainly, if both of those things happen, and we're getting ready to see them play yeah. a few weeks after the Heisman Trophy ceremony, would be uh, really interesting because all the Alabama media would be there. Uh, clamoring around uh, yeah. both of those guys and all the Oklahoma media would be there, as we saw last year, clamoring around both those guys, and it'd sort of get amplified even more from what it was last year when it was Kyler Murray versus Tua Tungavailoa. Yeah, I mean, I can't <laughs> – I mean, it's just going to be nuts. It's already, you know, sort of heating up, and I asked him a little bit of, you know, the uh, – I don't think this made it to the online version, but you, you heard it in the earlier in the, the last segment, but how, you know, everyone in Alabama loves Jalen Hurts now, but they won't love him if it comes to that. <laughs> I mean, their allegiances won't be, uh, won't be balanced between the two. Yeah, it only goes so far, <laughs> the love for Jalen Hurts. Uh, Joe, let's go to the mailbag, though. Let's uh, do it. Got, got a couple questions to answer from, from readers, from listeners. Uh, the first one is directed to me. Um, about the Associated Press poll, the, the vote that I put out last week, we saw Barry Trammell get a lot of uh, publicity in the SEC region after his, uh, his vote or his ballot. He doesn't have a vote in the actual AP Top 25, but ranking in order of just what's happened on the field, he put Auburn number one then. He kept Auburn number one this week. This week, I made a shift in uh, balloting and put the uh, the Tigers up top as well at number one. The reason is just because, as Barry has said, this team has gone on the road and beaten two very good teams, uh, I guess one on a neutral site, one in a true road environment. And uh, although you know maybe Texas A&M isn't what some of us thought they were going to be, that's still a, a good place to win yeah. on the road. Uh, Oregon, we know that's a good, a really good neutral site win for them. Auburn's going to get uh, some more chances. They got Florida this week. Yeah, they'll stay and at so, one if they win this week. Yeah, and, and I would imagine uh, more people will eventually join me if yeah. that happens. Because um, I, I think there were three or four of us that voted Auburn number one this week. Um, you know, I dropped Clemson down a little bit after seeing, you know, how they struggled with North Carolina. The point, we get sort of too wrapped up in rankings at this point of the season because I had Alabama fans come after me this week because of dropping the Crimson Tide down a few spots. But here's the deal. If Alabama wins out, they're going to be number one in my poll. I can tell you that for sure because of the strength of schedule that they have uh, going down the stretch with some of the teams that they play and certainly – would play in the SEC championship game if they get that far. But um, 
still a lot of football to be played. I don't think people should freak out about it too much. But I sort of have a different approach to looking at polls and uh, try to take a, a new look at them every week rather than just saying, okay, I had this team at number one this week. They won. They've got to stay there. I had this team at number two. They lost. I've got to drop them way down. Well, if, say number one beats number two, and it's a really close game, a tightly competitive game, why should number two drop or, yeah. or, or certainly drop very far? So um, just a different way of looking at it. I hope that uh, – I hope that Bama fans don't, you know, string me up too much. I like what you did with the poll, and, I mean, you said it. This this thing's going to sort itself out. Right now you've got a big four in the SEC, Auburn, Alabama, LSU, and Georgia. <laughs> you said if if Alabama goes undefeated, they're going to be number one. If any of those teams go undefeated, they're going to be number one Yeah, because of the schedule. It's interesting because um, – you know, you've got those four teams ranked in a different order. Almost every voter down the line, mm-hmm. one of them has one of those teams ahead of the other, and it's it's just really interesting. Obviously, there's there's more to that top ten than the SEC, but those four teams are really sticking out right now. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting. Uh, Barry, in his rankings, doesn't have OU in the top ten. Now, yeah. he, had, he had Florida at number ten, said that OU could have been there, and there was a group of three or four teams that, that could have been there at number ten. But before people get too worked up at Barry, remember what he's doing, what his exercise is, which is what they played this year. And the fact is OU hasn't played a team that's been great. They, they tried to schedule uh, a strong way with UCLA and Houston. Uh, Houston, I think, certainly isn't going to look like what Houston played like yeah. the first week here because the of the De'Eric King uh, situation and the, the receiver also – who uh, decided to redshirt, but UCLA being down has hurt the Sooners. But again, if OU takes care of its business, if they beat Texas and and potentially beat Texas twice, they're going to be where they need to be in the end. Yeah, they'll. I mean, they'll they'll crack Barry's top ten in two weeks if they beat Texas. I thought it was hilarious <laughs> though this week with uh, the attention that Barry's poll attracted last week and. <laughs> And people being like, hey, you should do this more often. He does it every single week. He's done week. it every week it for <laughs> at, since I've been here. It at wasn't least. a new exercise. Like that, that was the best part of it to me. Yeah. So we got another mailbag question, Joe. Yeah. So, um, you know, Lincoln Riley said on what day is it? Wednesday, that, that Trajan, we, Trajan Bridges, the saga is ongoing. He said that he's probably <laughs> going to play one position or one side of the ball the rest of the year. Tell us what you think that side of the ball is. <laughs> yeah, Lincoln Riley said, I know what Trajan Bridges is going to do the rest of the year, but I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. So we'll see on, on Saturday. So Ryan Aber will tell us. When he lines up. So I'm going to tell you, I think he's going to play defense. Uh, I think that uh, as we talked about in the last podcast, as we talked about after the Texas Tech game, I think the value for this season is at safety. If you can get him to a place where you think he can contribute and be a positive force on that side of the ball, you keep him there. I think he's not going to lose, you know, everything from the wide receiver spot in those couple months. Uh, so the transition back isn't going to be extremely rocky. We know how talented he is, but I think given uh, the lack of depth at the safety spot, given that they haven't found a third guy mm-hmm. that they feel comfortable putting out there. Um, I think you're going to see Trajan Bridges at safety or nickel somewhere in the secondary uh, here for the rest of the season. Yeah, I haven't been as convinced, but I am now because 
if you know if he's going to play one side of the ball the rest of the year, throwing him out there for one game at safety wouldn't have made sense because like what would the expectations have been? I mean, like you can't just expect him to be a world beater after one game. It's an ongoing process. I think he's going to try to evolve at that position. I think he's going to play safety the rest of the year or, or, or nickel, whichever he slides into in the defensive backfield. But we'll remind uh, everyone that Lincoln Riley said a couple weeks ago that he has a bright future mm-hmm. at Oklahoma as a wide receiver. So probably makes the shift back maybe next year. Yeah, I still think that in the offseason he makes the shift back. Once Alex Grinch is able to get his own guys there, and everything else. Um, Joe, some, some news today with the transfer portal. Uh, again, we're talking on Wednesday. Um, Miguel Edwards uh, said to be in there. Uh, got to talk to Lincoln Riley about that a little bit, too. And he said, once somebody goes in, they're in. And that's, you know, he feels like that's a dividing point. Now, he did say. What's your A.D. Miller? Well, <laughs> here's, here's where. <laughs> where he goes with that he did say they keep the lines of communications open they support the player as he's on campus for the rest of the semester rest of the year with uh you know academic services with uh, contact and communication with prospective schools to try to get them in the right place and they're always opening open to welcoming them back but when they go in the transfer portal that's that's the decision. So it's it's not a just testing the waters thing. The testing the waters part comes before the entering of the portal. This is the third guy that's been reported into the portal for the Sooners. The other two aren't on the roster anymore. Uh, Jonathan Perkins, a freshman linebacker. Uh, Starlin Baldwin, uh, the redshirt, redshirt freshman cornerback. Uh, he was off the roster before the season. Yeah. Just recently entered the portal. But uh, and now Miguel Edwards. I don't think it's surprising that Miguel Edwards got there. But it was interesting here in Lincoln Riley. I think for the first time, uh, answer that directly about the way he reacts to guys entering the portal during the season. So, so does that mean they're they're not using the facilities? They're not working out with the team and practicing? Yeah, they're not practicing with the team. Surely he said yeah. we're not going to practice a guy who's uh, not wanting to be a part of this yeah. team. Yeah, it's not a surprising name to uh, – when you just comb the roster, you can point out some guys who you wouldn't be surprised if they entered the portal. Miguel Edwards is one. He actually got – I think he hit that four-game mark last year, played in one game right. this year. Um, so so someone who can be relied on for depth, but at this point they're only really playing three corners, and that's the two starters, Parnell Motley, Trey Brown, and then Jaden Davis. I think Jaden Davis's emergence – Uh, maybe was a little bit of writing on the wall for a guy like Miguel Edwards. Yeah, it certainly seemed that way. Joe, let's get to picks now uh, real quick as we start to uh, wrap up the Sooners Extra. Um, Let's first of all obviously start with with OU. I think everybody expects this to be a blowout, although uh, you have the Jayhawks scoring maybe a little bit more points than I think a lot of people expect. Yeah, I said 50 50 to 21 have the Jayhawks covering that, that big spread. I'm I'm probably going to be wrong about this, but I says the guy who's in first place. <laughs> well, our our overall numbers as a staff aren't too great, but anyway, uh, it's it's a classic. Not hey, if a you're le- over 500 <laughs> against the spread, you're doing okay, okay for yourself. You're you're close. I'll you're, try to you're hang on. Just two games over, but you're the only one over right now. Uh, I am in last place right now at 41 and 57. Hopefully, we'll make up some games on you yeah, we'll this week, it. but. 
It, we'll it's, see. A, it's a long season. <laughs> anyway, I, I think it's just one where, you know, Texas next week, I'm not saying Kansas has any chance of winning this game. I, I simply don't think they do. But it's one where maybe you could see a little bit of a defensive lapse. And by defensive lapse, I'm talking 21 points. I'm not talking like the 40 that Kansas scored last year. Um, it, it's just, you know, winning winning a conference game on the road by 29 is still a pretty big win. Yeah, and I, I picked it uh – OU to cover in this one, 58-10. I think with Kansas losing some of the players that they've got, yes, they still got Puka Williams. Um, OU's better defensively. They're as potent offensively. I think they're still going to score a ton of points. I think with Texas uh, next week, they want to put this game away and put it away quickly. So I I think Oklahoma rolls in this one, 58-10. Joe, we were pretty identical on a lot of picks uh, this week, although you picked uh, Utah State to cover against LSU, which is a little bit interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I mean, I don't feel super strongly about that one. Um, But, yeah, I mean, that spreads 26-and-a-half. The the game I'm looking at is is Baylor at Kansas State. I mean, Baylor could really – position themselves at the top in the upper tier of the conference if they get a win in manhattan yeah i think that'll be a fun game for for the big 12 and looking at this conference moving forward for the rest of the year seeing where those stand because you know i i expect oklahoma state to roll over texas tech uh in that game i expect texas to roll over west virginia a little bit surprised that that game's only 11 and a half point line Mm -hmm. i know uh uh, Morgantown is a really tough place to play, but still, uh, I, I think Texas Tech is going to roll in that game as we've seen the Mountaineers struggle a little bit. Uh, only a couple games, Joe, that we had different as far as uh, the the uh, overall winners, and one was Northwestern at Nebraska. You picked the Wildcats to uh, pull off the upset in that one despite the 7.5 point. Uh, underdog status in that game and then uh, in the SEC Vanderbilt at Ole Miss I went with Vanderbilt to uh, pull off the upset you picked Ole Miss to uh, roll in that game by 16. Yeah not not super high on Vanderbilt. Ole Miss has a really good offense I just don't think they can play any defense and then that Northwestern Nebraska game golly I, I think that you know going into the season we had this perception on Nebraska and to me, they haven't really showed that they deserve it, so I wouldn't be surprised if Northwestern could win that game. Yeah, so it'll be a uh, certainly be a fun week of college football. We'll be in Lawrence for that game at 11 a.m., the second of three in a row, yep. uh, 11 a.m. games for the Sooners at uh, what that game's on ABC, right? So we got right. a little bit of a break from Fox. Yep, ABC. Uh, so uh, ABC there. Uh, We're going to wrap it up there from the Sooners Extra. Thank you so much for listening to the Sooners Extra podcast from the Oklahoman. Please drop us a line. You can reach me through email at at rabber at oklahoman.com or ryaber on Twitter. Joe? At Joe underscore Masato on Twitter. And then my email is jmasato at oklahoman.com. That's two S's and two T's in that. The Sooners Extra Podcast is presented each week by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com. You can check out our work every day at oklahoman.com and every morning in the Oklahoman for the best OU coverage anywhere.